I don't know what inferior swill this is, but I ordered a lot of hula. The scotch on the rocks, please. Any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe a Glengow, any Glen. As a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. So I used to make a beer dog, and then I thought maybe I will try and make whiskey. And I started to learn about the whiskey world and the culture. It's so amazing, it's so full of tastes, and I fell in love and decided to open a distillery. Welcome to the Whiskey Snobs of Lower Mocha podcast. My name is Aaron. I'm Adam. And I'm Jesse. And just in case you're wondering, we may sound a little bit different again today. That is because we are social distancing. We are each recording in our own homes. So we're still trying to get used to different ways of recording. So please bear with us. But we are together in spirit as always. Tonight happens to be one day before the start of the holiday of Passover. And you might actually be listening to this during Passover. So it seemed appropriate to do a tasting of two young expressions from a distillery in the land flowing with milk and honey. In case you haven't guessed, we will be enjoying whiskey from the Milk and Honey Distillery, Israel's first whiskey distillery located in Tel Aviv, Israel. I actually became aware of the Milk and Honey Distillery through an Indiegogo campaign. The plans for that started around 2012, and the actual crowdfunding campaign was finished around December 2013. They had Dr. James Swan on board. He was associated with the distillery until he passed away in February 2017. Products from the distillery started to hit the shelves in the first quarter of 2016. What we're enjoying today are some of the latest releases from the distillery that actually has hit the United States market. Their Whiskey in Bloom series, which are both described as young single malts because they are less than three years matured. And we have two whiskeys to try tonight, the Whiskey and Bloom Double Cask, and the other is the Whiskey and Bloom Lightly Peated Triple Cask. I'm very excited to try these. Just a a little bit more about the Milk and Honey Distillery. They describe themselves as an urban distillery. They really pride themselves on the unique climate that they have for whiskey maturation. It's a desert climate, very hot and humid which results in quicker extraction of flavors from the wood and arguably a faster maturation than those matured in climates like Scotland. The climate also contributes to a loss of an average of 11% angel share per year compared to 1-2% to you would see in Scotland. That's going to create a very different kind of terroir compared to the single malt whiskeys that we all know and enjoy from much cooler climates. So they do a lot of interesting things with casks. They're always looking for different kinds of interesting casts like pomegranate wine, kosher sherry, rum, those kinds of things. They've actually been putting out a lot of different expressions. There's been a lot of things available uh, on their website. They do a lot of travel retail. I think uh, we're in for very interesting drams here. Well, I'm excited to try it. You know, I mean, it's really fun to go around the world and see all these different countries that are releasing malts and you know, you get a lot of variation in the ones in Europe, like continental Europe. Now we're seeing some more from Middle East. There's one in South Africa, obviously more and more in Asia. And uh, I think it's great. It's, you know, really cool to see other countries trying to like develop a tradition, taking advantage of their unique climates. I'm really glad you brought these to the table, Aaron, and decided to try them out. 
So the first thing a lot of people think of when you have these distilleries in kind of exotic places, whether it be India or Taiwan or wherever, is is what sort of impact that the, the, the local terroir has on the product from that distillery. So you mentioned uh, the climate in Israel, which tends to be a little more humid than what we see in some other parts of the world. Is there anything else about what Milk and Honey Distillery is doing that is uh, specific to that locale? Because I know Golani Distillery uses some Israeli grain in their mash, which is kind of interesting and something that you just don't get anywhere else. So I wasn't sure if Milk and Honey was doing anything similar. So Milk and Honey is sourcing their barley from Muntins in the UK, and their yeast is from Fermentis in Belgium. They source their barley because the Israeli barley is apparently not suitable for making whiskey because it doesn't have enough sugars, which of course is necessary for a proper fermentation. And, and from a cast standpoint, they're selecting all their casts uh, mostly from abroad, or are they getting some casts from local wineries in Israel? So yes, the red wine casts are coming from Israel, but most of their casts, I believe around 75% of them, are ex-bourbon casts sourced from the Kelvin Cooperage in Louisville, Kentucky. The STR casts they're using are from Portugal, and STR, as we all know, stands for Shaved, Toasted, and Recharred which is a process that was pioneered by Dr. Swan to get more life out of the casts. And they're also using casts like Exila and Exrum. Awesome. Awesome. Should we get started with the tasting then? Yeah, I think so. So the first pour of the evening is going to be the Whiskey and Bloom double cask. So this is 46% ABV. It was aged in ex-bourbon and ex-red wine STR casks. It is one of 1,500 bottles. And this is actually the core of what is going to be their classic single malt, which I believe is hitting the markets right around now, or at least it was supposed to. I think the color is really nice. It's a really deep gold. It definitely has a bit of a Speyside Highlands kind of nose to it. And I think that's actually what they were going for. I get a little astringency on the nose. There, there's some floral notes in there as well, but it, you know, it's almost like the fruit is hiding amongst the, the bitters. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get a strong like citrus rind. Yeah, I get like a almost like a pear, kind of that tart tree fruit and, and maybe like some honeycomb where it's a little bit of like an earthy spin on honey. I mean, it's sweet, but a little earthy. Do you get any vanilla? Because like, I mean, that's kind of what you expect out of like an ex-bourbon. You guys get a little on the nose. Yeah. I, you know, if I were tasting this blind, I, I don't know that I would pick it for an ex-bourbon aged spirit. Maybe the STR cask is coming through more heavily on this one. Yeah. Or, or maybe the blend of the two is, you know, creating something that's a little bit new. I, you know, I have to be honest that I'm a little bit biased because, you know, knowing that it is an Israeli spirit or produced in Israel, I, I just have this preponderance to kind of taste um, Iraq, which was, you know, the big mm. drink over there when I was there, just sort of an anise type of spirit. Um, but that's not there at all, but I'm, I just find myself <laughs> sort of looking for it. Have you guys uh, tasted it yet? Yeah, I've had, I've had some tastes and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. It, it reminds me, like if I had tasted this blind, I would think that it's like a underaged scotch whiskey uh, independent bottling. Yeah. Because it's it's young, but you know there's definitely a lot of character, like a lot of cask character to yeah. it. Yeah, and you know the palate, I think, it has that youth quality to it. But there's like some pepper notes. There's you know some good wood notes from the 
cask. You know, again, I get some different kinds of stone fruit, even like a touch of smoke, maybe. I don't know, uh, you know, maybe from the, the charring. Um, not like a, not, not a uh, peat, but, but just like a, you know, like a burnt, a burnt oak, something like that. Yeah, exactly. And not to jump ahead too far, but with the, the finish is actually surprisingly long. It's not, it's not a really just thin, wispy drink. It actually has some backbone to it and, and some finish. So, you know, that, that's probably what I would have guessed at, on a blind tasting. It feels hotter than it is. Like my, the back of my mouth feels very warm right now, uh, which I like. Mm-hmm. Now at, at 46%, you wouldn't typically add water to something like this, but I put a couple of drops in just to see what it would do. And it, it does open up nicely. I would say for something that's only got 24 months of aging, it shows a whole lot of potential. It was last year I received a sample from Milk and Honey of what was going to be their classic single malt. It was aged for about a year, and I got like a one-ounce sample. It showed so much promise. I was so excited to have some more whiskey from Milk and Honey. And I think this is showing even more promise, but I think it'd be nice to see what a few more years in the cask will do. It certainly gives you the impression that there are bigger things in store down the road as it ages for a few more years. But what I think is interesting about this is I really don't know what direction it's going to go in based on the the nose and the palate, the finish that I've sort of tasted through so far. You know, I think it could go any number of different ways. Yeah. I'm also just glad that it's it's single malt as opposed to single grain. Right. It's going to hit my taste buds a lot better than a single grain. Yeah. Now, this is only one of 1,500 bottles, so it's it's not a big release at all. I know that Milk and Honey has sort of made a big deal out of the fact that, you know, they really want to aim for the single malt market. So even though by regulation, they're not tied to the three-year minimum, that is a goal that they've set for themselves. Sure. And so clearly here, they're releasing something that's a little bit younger than what they see as their core product uh, or what their core product is going to be. But the, the point, I think, is to kind of give us a little bit of a flavor of what is to come. Which I can absolutely appreciate that any distillery that's starting up needs to try to get some product out there. And when they're saying that their climate or the climate that they're in is giving them a little bit of an advantage because you get, quote unquote, more years out of the maturation than you would if you were in a cooler climate, then you could, in theory, you could start distributing younger spirit that's got the character of stuff that's been aged for a few years longer. Yeah. And I think it, it certainly has a lot going on for something that's only two years old. It, it does, but, you know, as the three of us have just tried the two-year-old release from Kilhoman, it still seems younger than that release. That release seemed a little bit more full-bodied, and this feels like it still has a lot more room to grow. The other thing that might be affecting that is, was that cash strength? I believe it was. Uh, it might have been. Good point. The higher ABV will certainly help on that front. Yeah, it was 62.6%. Right, right. Yeah, so that would certainly explain it. Part of it. I mean, uh, Kilhoman was is just got some kind of magic voodoo with their new make and their young spirit. Speaking of voodoo, uh, Aaron, you haven't mentioned it yet, I don't believe. But so Milk and Honey did have some uh, consultation from Scottish experts in their startup. A lot of the expertise they got can be attributed to the late Dr. Jim Swan, one of the world's most accomplished master distillers, 
and was considered an expert in hot climate distillation and maturation. He was associated with Amrut in India, which is a, another very warm climate, and Kavalan. So he had the experience of that warm climate maturation. I feel like they were blessed to have him involved right. when they did. I'm sure that we can probably feel his fingerprints over the spirit. For sure. Yeah. Great. Great. Well, let's move on to the lightly peated. Yeah. So I know we're all excited about this one. This is the Whiskey and Bloom Lightly Peated Triple Cask. This is an 1100 bottle production run. This is another two-year maturation, 46% ABV. The three casks are ex-bourbon, ex-red wine STR, and ex-isla casks. So I know that makes all of us very excited. I was very excited to get this series in part because personally a very big fan of peated whiskey and I have a soft spot for milk and honey because it, you know it's an Israeli distillery and I started supporting them from the very get-go and I'm just happy that they're doing any kind of peating at all. We've had experience with some drams that were ex-isla cask or peated casks so I'm very very interested in trying this one. Now, Aaron, when, when you rattle off the cask, ex-bourbon, ex-red wine, STR, and ex-isla, and you mentioned that these were finished in the ex-isla cask, is it reasonable to assume that this is essentially the Whiskey and Bloom double cask, but then finished with the ex-isla cask? That would be my assumption, or, or they just added into the blend some spirit that was exclusively aged in the ex-isla casks. That information I could not dig up, but I do know which distillery the casks came from. Oh, which one? Ooh, that's some top secret information. That, yeah, I'm surprised they actually shared it with me. Hold on, wait, 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 can we guess? Wait, why don't, yeah, Adam and I should try to guess before. I'd be very shocked because my guess is it's not gonna be super imparted in the spirit, but we'll see. Real quick before we get started though, is that in addition to not being able to call this whiskey, I think it is, if this was a scotch, I don't think they could just call it lightly peated because the fact that they just put it in a ex-peated cask is quite different from it being a lightly peated malt. And I think mm. most whiskey that's finished in a Isla cask, you know, makes that clearer in their title to not be confused that the malt itself was peated. Um, yeah. So again, because they're Israeli, they could kind of do, you know, they don't have those same regulations there. They could call it that. But I think I, I was uh, thrown off a little bit at first when I saw that it was just an ex-Isla cask. But, but it's yeah. interesting that they're essentially doing the same thing that Kavalon did with the PD cask. They're saying this is a lightly peated triple cask. Kavalon said this is a PD cask. And so the, the peat is being used to modify the cask. Right. Even though I think, you know, in the U.S., you know, you get this all the time. With, with bourbon labeling, you know, you would have purists arguing that this is somewhat deceptive because the, the grain itself is, or the barley itself is not peated. It's, it's the cast that's peated. But there does seem to be a trend for those folks who are using peated casks to just simply call it peated cask. I've started to nose this. Uh, have you guys started to do that? Because uh, I, I feel like I'm going to like this a lot better than the, the double cask. D did you like the, uh, the double cask? I did like the double cask. I think if you did a if you did this blind, if somebody were to tell you like this is from one of the seven regions of Scotland, where is it from? You would probably guess Speyside. So to me, that means that they've kind of hit the nail on the head as far as what their goal was. Now, admittedly, Speysides are not my go-to, but occasionally there's one that I do enjoy. Like I 
wouldn't I would never pass up a pour above any, you know, as an example. Mm, right. Yeah. So I do say that the spirit does show promise for the more mature whiskeys that they're going to be putting out. Well, you know, it's so often is the case. I, I did like the double cast, but as soon as I tried and I jumped ahead a little bit and, and have already sipped a little bit of the lightly peated triple cask. And in comparison to the double cask, I, you know, I absolutely love it. I mean, there just seems to be so much more going on on the oh. palate. I don't know about you, but I feel like to me, the, the note that really kind of hit, hit me was Band-Aid. Mmm, delicious Band-Aid. <laughs> Jesse, what do, you, what, what, what do you think about this in comparison to the double cask? Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's definitely got more uh, depth to it. It is interesting because it doesn't taste as young. I think with the, the Isla cast is, is giving it some complexity. And it's not like it definitely is right that it's just lightly peated in its, you know, in the final product. You know, if this was a peated malt, it would probably be, you know, 15 ppm or something pretty low. But, uh, you know, what I find is that sometimes that's really nice because it complements the rest of the flavors. It doesn't, you know, overpower. But, you know, what to me what it does is like just as the flavor might be kind of trailing off with a unpeated malt, the peat kind of kicks in and gives it uh, added length and added character. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely a more three-dimensional dram. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to say it's because I love peat. We all sort of gravitate toward the peated expressions. But just having that top note of peat, wh- whether it's coming from the cask or wherever it's coming from, I think really adds a, a, a really likable quality to this spirit. You know, I'm, I'm enjoying it immensely. Yeah, I feel like the peat is marrying well with the, the sweetness. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's creating a very interesting flavor roller coaster that I'm really enjoying. I would love to see what they would do with peated malt rather than just have the peated cask. Actually, speaking of the peated cask, do you have any guesses as to which Isla distillery it comes from? Really, I'm asking you to make a one in seven guess. I, 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 Jesse, you want to go first? I have a hint. I, I mean, I have a, I had a, like a knee jerk reaction, but because if you get it right, I'll just say <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I, okay, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Bowmore. I, I was gonna say Lefroy. Okay, one of you is right. <laughs> All right. Oh man, and it's Adam. Yes. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, I just there was something about it that just struck me as Lefroy right off the bat. I, I don't know if it was like kind of the there was sort of a hint of brine in there or you know. And Aaron saying Band Aid note, you know, that is pretty stereotypical Lefroy as well. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would have been able to guess not knowing, but been able to find out. I was just shocked when I asked them, like, hey, so um, can you tell me where the Axila casks are from? And they offered it up, and I was like, great. And then... That's cool. I was like, do I tell you guys? Or do I see if I can <laughs> guess? I, I think it's great to know on the back end. I mean, especially allowing us to sort of experience it blind, not knowing, not being biased in any way. And then uh, finding out afterwards is sort of the right way to go. But Lefroy is a more peated spirit than Beaumore typically is. So if you're going to go the route of a peaty cask, you're probably going to pick a cask from Ardbeg or Lagavulin or Lefroy or even a Kilhoman over, for example, a, a Beaumore or maybe even a, a Bunahabin. Yeah, you know, I think you're, you're, you're right. And what threw me off, I guess, is that the, uh, I think the, the final product has a p 
ppm level and a kind of a taste similar to Beaumore. Which makes sense. Mm. Where you're, but you're right that, you know, to get to that just from a cask influence, you need to come in with a much more peated starting whiskey. So, bravo. And similar to the double cask, I, I think the finish is, is nice and long again, but it has, similar to the palate, sort of more interesting notes on it than did the finish from the double cask. Yeah, absolutely. I'm impressed with how long it is. Yeah. I don't think I'd run out and buy more bottles of these, but I would definitely check out their classic single malt that they're going to be putting out. And sure. I know they put out some cash strength releases, I think mostly in the European market for travel retail and some other peated cask expressions that were cash strength. I would love to try those. You know, I'll be honest with you. I, I would maybe buy a bottle of this, one, because I like it, but two, if, if there are still bottles of this at, at the local liquor store that, that you picked it up from, because it was only a release of, 11, of 1,100 bottles, at some point in the future, as Milk and Honey Distillery takes off and they have a lot of great releases and great expressions, there's going to be a lot of interest, you know, looking back at what their early spirit tasted like. And so it'd be great to have something like this on the shelf. And the other thing is these bottles are very inexpensive. Yeah, they're they're priced well, but this is also a bottle that I would have no problem whatsoever recommending to someone who's interested in trying Israeli whiskey because it's not a novelty. It it tastes good. Yeah, and it's going to be much more akin to what you're already used to drinking. I will definitely buy more expressions from Milk and Honey, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing other peated expressions because I think the lightly peated or this triple cask, I think, shows that it benefits from some kind of peating. So do you know what's next for Milk and Honey? Are they moving towards releasing a core set of bottles, or are they going to be doing more kind of preview bottles like this, where they might put out something that was aged close to three years, but not quite three years? They do have a wide variety of spirits available, but I believe what they've been building up to is this what they're calling the classic single malt whiskey, which I believe is going to be hitting the market in the United States pretty soon. I have no clue as to what their plans are for down the road. I mean, if you look through their spirits list, they have quite a bit. Yeah. These two bottles, the whiskey and bloom bottles, are not my first bottle of whiskey from Milk and Honey. I actually have a bottle of the single malt whiskey founders edition, which I believe was the first three-year-old spirit that they had. And what I'm excited about that one is it's uh, ex-bourbon, STR red wine, and finished in PX kosher sherry butts. Wow. That, wow. Sounds, that sounds like something that I'm really going to enjoy. You know, it's one of a thousand bottles and it's bottled at 57%. Looking at the, the tasting notes, it just sounds like an exciting pour. I'm a big fan of sherried whiskeys, so uh, I'm excited for that one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much you can trust the color on the website, but I'm looking at the single malt whiskey founders edition in the bottle lineup on the website, and it looks dark and interesting. Yeah, they have that travel retail exclusive as well that also looks really compelling. The ex-Israeli fortified wine cask, along with ex-Isla and ex-Bourbon. Yeah, they have a, a lot of their expressions, especially some of those travel retails. Oh man, like I, I wish I knew where to find it. I was looking up on Wine Searcher. There were a few bottles in New York, and then London, England just seemed to have a ton of milk and honey. And I guess it's just because of the population there that, you know, you've got a lot of Orthodox Jews and other folks who are pretty interested in, in product coming out of Israel. So, Single Cask Nation 
has two milk and honey expressions that are going to be released soon. Yeah, that's exciting. One of them is a, a rum cask finish. Wow. Well, they can really pick them, those uh, single cask nation guys. Well, I really enjoyed this tasting. I was very excited to open these bottles. I'm glad I got to enjoy it with you guys, even though you guys aren't here. Who knows? Maybe next time. Probably not, because uh, yeah, it doesn't look like the end is in sight. But we did a few sample dead drops to make this happen. <laughs> very gingerly. Yeah, it was essential. We promise. We will continue to do this as the situation requires it. Thanks again for listening to the Whiskey Snobs of Lower Milko podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, jam in good health. And l'chaim. L'chaim. I must say, damn good stuff, sir.